Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, will Aaron O'Toole face a pushback from social conservatives at this week's convention? Aaron O'Toole should not be listening to, to the people around him, the advisors who tell him, well, they got nowhere else to go because that's simply not true. The medical assistance in dying legislation passes with most of the Senate's amendments. We listened through this process to more than 300,000 Canadians. We heard from countless experts, spent more than 45 hours of debate on this important legislation. And Mark Carney calls on Canada to prepare for the next pandemic. The point about pandemic is merely one of a broader argument that he's making about resetting the economy. It's Thursday, March 18th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us. Morning, Mark. So what do you think about how Aaron O'Toole stands as he heads into this conservative convention. Uh, There have been a lot of stories written over the last couple of weeks about his leadership, about people in the ranks of the Conservative Party, particularly social conservatives who have expressed concern about the direction of the party. Uh, He is trying to speak about policy when he can. Uh, What do you think about uh, what kind of shape Aaron O'Toole is in going into this convention? I think he's got a very... uh tough task ahead of him. He's got to make a keynote speech tomorrow. You know, he's tried to make this party more electable, despite the fact that he um, he ran as the true blue conservative in the leadership campaign. He quickly uh, shifted focus once he became leader to become the more moderate figure that I think most of us knew he was. And so he's tried to bring in a more, uh, what I would think is an, an, an enlightened environmental policy. He's tried to quiet in the, the social conservative wing of his own party. I mean, there, there will be no uh, resolutions on abortion, for example, at this convention. Um, the environmental policies have obviously stirred up some discontent in the West, uh, and the Maverick Party is now making noises to uh, making in treatments towards conservative supporters. So he's got divisions that have happened, I think, for for uh, understandable electoral reasons. I mean, he's in the business of getting elected and he's got to try and reach out to a, a broader, uh, beyond the conservative base, if you like. But I think he hasn't helped himself by creating divisions within the party by things that he's done himself. For example, I was reporting this week that uh, that he made it known that he didn't want Peter McKay to run in Atlantic Canada. Right. Now, if anybody can win seats for the Conservatives in Atlantic Canada, it's Peter McKay. That speaks to a kind of brittleness uh, in the in O'Toole's office and maybe with O'Toole himself. You know, he demoted, apparently demoted Pierre Poilievre from his from his position as finance critic because he was sucking up a lot of uh, the limelight, a lot of oxygen. So, you know, there are things that he's done that that I that I think are understandable, and there are things that are that he's done that seem to me to be inexplicable. If you're going to try and move the centre of gravity of your party, you need to have that party united before you do that. And things that he's done have created discord where it didn't appear to exist beforehand. So, you know, he's got a big speech tomorrow night where he's got to make the case for the policies that he wants to, to run in an election. And he's also got to try and bring this party together somehow. Yeah, great points. Uh, We'll see what happens tomorrow and throughout the convention. Uh, Let's turn to Mark Carney, the former governor of the Bank of Canada, and more recently, of course, the Bank of England, who has said that Canada needs to do more to prepare for the next pandemic. 
We need to build the capacity to manufacture our own vaccines and our own personal protective equipment going forward. Uh, what do you think about that? Are we, at the same time as we're managing this crisis, heeding the lessons of it to prepare for the next one? Well, I, I kind of laugh at some of these stories because they appear to be written by people who have not read his book. And, and it's an easy uh, an easy story to write about pandemic preparedness. But I actually read the book, 600 pages, and it was a it is um, a challenging but but worthwhile read. And the point about pandemic is 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 merely one of a broader argument that he's making about resetting the economy. Now he lived through the financial crisis. He had a front uh, row seat to to the start of the COVID pandemic, and he's now the UN special advisor on climate change. And he makes uh, draws a straight line between all three of those crises. A crisis and, and talks about how we have misplaced our values. Things that are valuable are not valued by the market. We need to reorient the market to, be, to, make, uh, to make it more moral, if you like. And so um, the idea of resiliency, which obviously is, uh, is very pertinent to pandemic response, is also extremely pertinent to... Um, to climate change, and he draws a straight line again between pandemic response and how we should be preparing for climate change. You know, he, he, he makes the point that um, you know we, we ignored far too many warnings about the pandemic. Are we going to ignore all the warnings about preparing for for climate change too? And right. he talks about how governments need to put their expenditures into three boxes, and one of them is is uh, uh, emergency spending. And then there are normal operations. And then there are, in the third phase, um, things that are going to grow the economy in the future. And he, and he talks about have, having to move from phase one to phase three as quickly as possible. It's a complicated argument, but essentially it, it, it argues, in common with Bill Gates, that the key to meeting emissions reductions and uh, fight future pandemics is to for governments to set the direction through carefully calibrated regulation and encourage the private sector to then invest so that you have a kind of prime pumping by the on the public side right. and the private side then follows. And I, and I think what, what he's saying here um, on pandemic response is that it's some kind of industrial policy is required that makes the economy more resilient uh, when it comes to uh, the environment, energy, and economic resilience. Hmm. Um, so, so, so the pandemic is really just one component. Pandemic uh, future planning is just one component of a broader realignment of the economy. Very interesting. All right, let's talk about the two Michaels. The trial dates have been set for Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. Canada is apparently turning to the Biden administration for help in in uh, resolving this issue. Um, but what do you think is going to happen as these trials play out? Well, given the fact that the, uh, the Chinese legal system has got a 100% conviction rate, I think there's no real doubt about what the verdicts will be. Nobody should be surprised at what's going to happen in Chinese courts. But, you know, I think it's a positive move that the emphasis is now being placed on what the Biden administration is going to do. You know, this the, the solution to this, to the main case, was always going to be the U.S. Uh, government's response. And, um, you know, there was one 
prospect that the US administration might drop the extradition charges. I think there were some negotiations with, with Meg's lawyers, uh, or that, that idea was being looked at, or at least that the indictment would be dropped. Um, or sorry, the indictment would stay, but the extradition charges would be dropped. That seems to have fallen by the wayside. And now the emphasis is on some kind of deferred prosecution, which people might be familiar with from the from the uh, SNC Lavaline case, whereby Meng and Huawei admit some admission, uh, admit some guilt, perhaps pay a fine, and then she's allowed to go home. You know, in that scenario, you could see uh, after a couple of months, the two Michaels being quietly shipped home, um, even after the, the Chinese court has ruled on these espionage charges. So I think that that is what we should be pinning our hopes on, that, that somehow some kind of resolution is, is made on a deferred prosecution between uh, the U.S. administration and Meng's lawyers. That case gets resolved, and then some ways down the line, the two Michaels are, are allowed to go home. Right. All right. Just as we wrap up, John, uh, the medical assistance in dying bill is now law. Uh, it passed through the Senate yesterday. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what reflections do you have after this this long journey to get to this point? Well, I think it's probably healthy that the Senate allowed it to, to go through. Not, not all of their amendments that they sent back to the House of Commons were adopted. But, uh, you know, at least uh, the House's will has prevailed. Uh, I I am uh, I was a big supporter of the initial bill, you know, people who with with um, uh, foreseeable death were able to access medically assisted dying. Uh, I think I and, and I'm sure many other people are a little bit uncomfortable about the idea of people with uh, mental health problems now being able to access, or not now but soon being able to access medically assisted dying. And I think that they, there's going to have to be very close scrutiny of what happens on the ground now that this law has passed. Yeah, I imagine we'll learn a lot as we see cases uh, come forward, um, and and we'll learn from those. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Yep, thank you, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. We know, it is evident in the Canadian Armed Forces, that there are cultural problems of intolerance, harassment, and abuse. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Ottawa Citizen, Fiona MacDonald and Stephanie Patterson argue, adding women does not guarantee culture change in the military. They write, The add women and stir approach has dominated Canadian measures for gender equality since the 1980s. But such an approach largely leaves power structures and practices intact the very structures that have contributed to underrepresentation. As feminist scholars and activists have consistently demonstrated, while adding members of underrepresented groups to existing power structures and practices is necessary for inclusion and equity, it is by no means synonymous with change. At National News Watch, Ramona Coelho and Gerald Kotalik argue against the medical assistance in dying bill. They write... The 2016 made legislation was constructed to balance the benefit of assisted death to those competent, well-informed people at the end of their life whose suffering could not be relieved, while adding safeguards to protect all others. Bill C-7 would destroy this balance, 
Medical assistance in dying should remain a last resort, not an option to end painful lives while the government fails to provide options to live. In the Globe and Mail, Conrad Yakabuski argues the Kielbergers need to grow up. Yakabuski writes, Contrary to their claims during testimony before the House of Commons Ethics Committee, the Kielbergers are not innocent victims who have been dragged into a political scandal through no fault of their own. They did themselves no favors by defying and berating MPs during their testimony. They came off as petulant, spoiled children. Despite their objectives, the Kielbergers invited all this scrutiny upon themselves. The self-pity they oozed on Monday smacked of immaturity. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As we wait for the Trudeau government to table its first federal budget in two years, the parliamentary budget officer will provide some interesting costing this morning. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on that. Mark, at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on his website, the parliamentary budget officer will provide a costing of how much additional money it will cost the Trudeau government to extend its major pandemic benefits, which go out to individual Canadians. The PBO will look at the cost of extending the Canada Recovery Benefit and the Canada Recovery Caregiving Benefit by 12 weeks. Those benefits, which replaced the CERB last year, were extended in February when it became obvious to the government that pandemic shutdowns would be with us for a much longer period. At the same time, Finance Minister Chris Freeland also announced that the Recovery Sickness Benefit would be extended from two weeks to four. The PBO will provide his independent costing for those extensions. At the time, Employment Minister Carla Qualtro put the government's estimate at about $6.7 billion for the extension. So Mark, as we await the federal budget and wonder how much larger the federal deficit might be than the $381.6 billion forecast in the minister's economic update in November, the PBO's figures will no doubt fuel yet more speculation more debate, and a lot more anticipation. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with the Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will speak at the C.D. Howe Institute. Economic Development Minister Melanie Jolie will announce support for Quebec organizations helping small and medium-sized businesses affected by the economic impacts of the pandemic. Justice Minister David Lametti and Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will make a funding announcement Minister Miller will also join Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna for a virtual infrastructure event. Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominique Leblanc and Economic Development Minister Melanie Jolie will announce funding to support a research cluster for small modular reactors in New Brunswick. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau and Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will announce a program that will support farmers to identify and adopt on-farm management practices to address climate change. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, March the 18th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.